Thank you for joining us for the Midweek Bible Study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. I heard a song this week on the gospel music station that um, I didn't get all of the the uh, verse of it, but it basically was saying, I'm not in the valley, I'm just changing mountains. And uh, that's a good way to look at it. Sometimes we've got to go through some low places to get to the next mountain. I'm going to read from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, but I'm also going to include 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 um, in this passage. Before I start, let me give you a couple of reminders since it's been several months since we've looked together. I'll remind you that Paul, when he first went through Ephesus, did not stay very long. He was headed actually to Sicily, I think, or Syria, I can't remember. Um, But when he came back later, he spent almost three years there and teaching and until uh, he started affecting the economy there because the silversmiths were not able to sell their little silver idols for to Artemis, the Greek god there, Greek goddess. <clears throat> and so when Paul, after spending about three years there, obviously he had a deep love for those people. And later he writes back to them, you know, encouraging them. You can basically divide Ephesians into two, two sections. The first three chapters deal with doctrine, a lot of doctrinal issues and who we are, who we are in Jesus Christ. And then the last three chapters, four, five, and six, are more practical as far as how to live for Christ in this world. It's a lot of practical help and it touches our family and our jobs. And, and as you see today, as he's closing out this letter, he's beginning to talk about spiritual war that's going on. So I want to read uh, verses 10 through 13, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, it says, for, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pause for a moment and pray. Um, We have one in the hospital that we know of, D. Hunter, and we want to pray for her. I think they have isolated the infection that they were looking for. And 
She may have even be home by now. I think they're not going to keep her much longer anyway, so we need to pray for her, pray for others in our church, pray for um, those that are battling various illnesses and cancer and COVID and sin. (laughs) A lot of people battling sin too, don't we? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And now we ask that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, you enlighten us according to the truth that it contains and that you would help us to live it. When we leave this place, you help us to to follow you and to live for you and to stand. We know that, God, that we're in a war. And we pray that you'll help us to be prepared for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A, A pastor was visiting the home of his members in a new church. He had just gone to a new church and he was visiting in some of the people's homes and in one particular home, he was asking questions about the family and he, he looked at a young man, who's probably nine or 10, 11 years old, and he said, son, what's your name? He said, my name is Bolivar Reginald Shagnasty III, sir. And the pastor looked at the boy's father and he said, what made you give a boy a name like that? And he said, because I want him to be a professional boxer. And with a name like that, he'll get plenty of practice at school. (laughs) And sometimes we may feel like the battered fighter who heard his trainer between rounds over in the corner saying, you're doing great, champ. He hadn't laid a glove on you. And the champ said, well, you better keep an eye on the referee then because somebody in this ring is beating the daylights out of me. Joe Lewis was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 to 1949. He fought 71 professional fights and lost only one. And during his decade and a half, he held this title, he defended that title 25 times. Bill Stern, the voice of American sports on radio at the time, decided toward the end of Joe Lewis, who was called the Brown Bomber, They wanted to interview him and find out his technique or secret that he employed in fighting his opponents and how he could win over people that many times were much bigger than him. And so his answer answer was very simply, I study my opponent, I plan my fight carefully, and the results are always the same. I'm never surprised, and I'm always on the offense. I'm never surprised, and I'm on the offensive. Who is our enemy? Now, at this time of the year, most people think it's people on the other political party from you. Or perhaps some other person in your life you think is your enemy. But as a child of God, we have a very real enemy, and Satan, or the devil, As we call him, Satan means adversary. The devil means accuser. He's someone who is mentioned 177 times in the Bible. So there must be something to it. He was created as an angel. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 said that Lucifer, which was his name, means son of the morning or shining star. He was created as a beautiful angel and was called the anointed cherub and actually guarded the throne of God. 
but he was corrupted by pride. He was, had too much ambition and pride. Isaiah 14 tells us that he was not content to be the guardian angel or guardian cherub. He wanted to be God. In fact, he said, I will make my throne above all the other stars above heaven. I will set my throne on the mountain. I will ascend and I will be like God. I'm going up. I am going all the way to the top. Of course, the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God condemned him. Sometimes we have a false theology about Satan or the devil. We, we make him too powerful. There are two mistakes you make about the devil. One is to underestimate his power and the other is to overestimate his power. You see, some people think that Satan is like a bad God, that there's the good God and the bad God and they're always warring against one another and the good God is barely winning. That is not even close. There is only one God and Satan is a fallen created angel. He's not anywhere near God. God cast him out. He's a fallen angel. In the book of Revelation, John tells us that a third of the angels fell with him and they are now what we call evil spirits and demons. How many is a third? Well, we don't know because we never have seen the, the number of angels that are in heaven. Satan opposes believers. He's diametrically opposed to you. He can do it directly or indirectly. He attacks God's character and his credibility. He undermines every victory that by generating trouble that makes life difficult. He tempts us to forsake God. He attacks believers through doctrinal confusion and falsehood. Sometimes he attacks God's people by hindering their service or at least some of the circumstances to serve him. He, curses, he causes divisions. He persuades believers to trust in themselves. He attacks believers by leading them into hypocrisy. He leads us into worldliness. He leads to disobey God's word. And I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid because Romans 8.37 says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The word conquerors is the word hooper nikomen. Hooper means more than, greater than, Nikeman, conquerors, victors, champions. We are hyper Nikes, I guess you would say. We are more than conquerors. We are in him. Now with all of that intro, I want to begin by, I'm going to go back and forth between this Ephesians passage and this Second Corinthians passage. But let's look first of all at the strategy and the stamina of the believer. It says we do not war, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, we do not war according to the flesh, verse three. We have weapons in the flesh. Believe it or not, it's a spiritual battle, but did you know we have fleshly, physical weapons? We have discipline and strength and ability, knowledge and intelligence, Science and technology, ideas and thoughts, beliefs and doctrines, laws and principles, all of those are fleshly um, weapons. 
And we can develop those weapons and we grow in those weapons as we mature, but you can't use any of those against a spiritual force because the war is not fleshly. Believe it or not, the people you think are your enemies, they, you may have disagreements with them and you may think they're your enemy, but the real enemy is a spiritual enemy. And, and, and it says in verse 10 here in Ephesians to be strong in the Lord, not in your own power, not in your knowledge, but in the Lord. He is our life. His power is our power. His truth is our truth. His way is our way. The word strength is always sufficient for the battle. In fact, it suggests pouring into. It's a passive verb. To be strong means that I'm going to be strong from Jesus, not strong in myself, not strong in my own ingenuity, my own abilities, my own talents. I'm going to be strong in him. I'm going to let him pour strength into me. I heard of a man who had a bulky mule. He couldn't get that mule to budge for anything. And a country doctor came along and he said, I've got something that'll start that mule. And the farmer said, well, give it to him. I'm worn out. And the doctor put out a long needle, gave the mule a shot. And in a few minutes, the mule perked up and dashed off in a mad run. And the farmer is looking at that dust as he's leaving. And he said, how much of that stuff did you give him? He said, about a dollar's worth. The farmer said, well, you need to give me three dollars worth because I got to go catch him. <laughs> well, God puts the strength in us that we need to stand in the power of his might, it says in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Power, it's used in the New Testament always of spiritual, of supernatural power. Not a power that you get on your own, whether it's satanic or divine, or it denotes the power as an active force being exercised here. Here he's saying, be strong, be infused with strength in the Lord and in the power, the supernatural power of his might. The word might is more passive. It means strength that is possessed. And then when he says to put on, verse 11, the whole armor of God, the word put on carries the idea of permanence. Completely put it on and don't take it off. You don't put it on just when you need it. You put it on and leave it on. You live with it on. You get a little feel of that putting on those masks. Aren't you glad you don't have to live with that thing on? You put it on when you need it, and you take it off. But here, he's saying you put it on permanently. It could have been that Paul was chained to a Roman guard and probably got to look and thinking, you know what, I'll just use this as the example when he talks about the, the spiritual armor that we're going to be looking at in a, next week. Um, he might have inspired him to say, you know what, the armor comes from the Lord and the strength and the power, it all comes from God. And then he says, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. Now, it's a military term that, that speaks of holding a critical position. Don't give up any ground. And those of you who've served in the military, especially in any kind of combat strategy, you know that when you gain ground, you didn't want to give it up. That's what he's saying. You're not going to be able to stand unless you put on the armor of God. And we're going to look at that 
next week. So the, the, the strength and the stamina of you and me comes from Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us. First John puts it this way, greater is he that is in you than he that, that is in the world. So you can stand. Now, let's talk about the struggle of the believer. Am I the only one who ever struggles? Verse 11 says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Verse four in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Several things I want you to notice in our struggle. First of all, and I've already mentioned it, we have a powerful adversary against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. The word devil is diabolos, diabolical. We get our word diabolos. That's the Greek word for devil. Schemes is the word methodia. His schemes or his wiles or his methods carries the idea of craftiness and cunningness and deceit. Schemes, actually, it means schemes laid out for spiritual disaster. Hmm. The term was often used of a wild animal who cunningly stalked its prey and then surprisingly jumped on the prey. It was a scheme. Satan's evil schemes are always built around stealth and deception. He's very organized. He's very intelligent, but he's not God. Don't ever ascribe or make the mistake of ascribing to Satan the attributes of God. For example, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Satan doesn't know everything. I personally don't think Satan can read your mind. God can because God knows everything. But I don't think Satan can read your mind. He doesn't have that kind of ability. Now, he studies you carefully. He may know some of your, your weaknesses, but I don't think he can read your mind because he's not God. But we sometimes try to attribute to him the attributes of God when he is not all-powerful like God. Sometimes people have the idea that Satan is some vague personification of evil or some alter ego dwelling in all the hearts of every person and that he's everywhere, but he's not. So when we say that we fight against Satan, what do we mean? Well, in World War II, some of you soldiers, there are not many of you left that were in World War II, but World War II, the soldiers were fighting against who? Hitler. Does that mean every soldier out there had a hand-to-hand -hand combat with Hitler? 
No, it meant we were fighting against Hitler's influence, against his philosophy, against his army. And when we say we're fighting against the devil, we're fighting against his influence, against his army, we're fighting against his demons. He's a powerful adversary. What do we know about our adversary? First of all, I've already mentioned it to you, he is a spiritual essence. He once was the ch- chief angel or the chief, uh, the anointed cherub, the star of the morning until he rebelled against God and God cast him out. In scripture, Jesus not only spoke about him, Jesus spoke to him. Peter, James, John, and the writer of Hebrews all speak of him as a personal being. We see him opposing God's work, perverting God's word, hindering God's servants, hindering the gospel, snaring the wicked, appearing as an angel of light, and he even fights or fought with the archangel Michael. You and I cannot fight Satan on a physical level. He has spiritual strength. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, he's very subtle. Colossians 1, 13 speaks of how sinister he is. Ephesians 2, 2 speaks of how active he is. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 speaks of supernatural power. And Hebrews 2, 14 speaks of his destructive power. He has spiritual strength. He also has a spiritual strategy. What does Satan do? He's got, he's got a strategy. One, a mom insisted that her son, Jackie, not go swimming. And when he came home with his hair wet, she knew he had disobeyed. He, she said, Jackie, I did not tell you if Satan tempted you to disobey me that you should tell him to get behind you. He said, Mom, that's what I did. And when I was standing there on the river, he pushed me in. <laughs> now, Satan is probably not going to be that overt with you. In our day, the world is rushing to accept all kinds of demonic deceptions and substitutes. Just turn on the news. I'm all, I'm all about... Um, equality but I'm against women's lib because of what they stand for. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Our world is denying God's order for the family. The world promotes a new morality, which is basically no morality. The world upholds abortion which is a denial of life. The proliferation of cults and all the isms today reflect the work of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons talked about in 1 Timothy 4.11. And even in the name of Christianity, we have people today who deny the deity of Jesus. We have people who deny the miracles of Jesus or the resurrection or the atoning sacrifice, the second coming, and they deny that judgment is going to happen, that even the church today is being seduced away 
and they still had the name church on their sign. Don't think he didn't have a strategy. And only when you have the Holy Spirit of God in you can you see the blindness of people today. All this nonsense going on in our nation right now, that's because people are blinded to the truth. They are. Um, And the church is even being seduced away. He's got a strategy. He's doing a pretty good job, isn't he? He's even got a spiritual structure. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual host of wickedness. Now, folks, I'm I'm gonna confess to you, I don't know everything that this means and nobody does, but it describes the different rankings. The fact I want you to see is He's got a structure. He's organized. Principalities and powers reflects a high order of demons. We find that in Colossians 2.15. Just as in the American military, there are generals and colonels and captains and lieutenants and sergeants and privates. I don't really care what demon is the head over this one, but I just want you to see that that Paul's saying that that there's there's a structure here. And the rulers of the darkness at this age may refer to the demons who've infiltrated various political systems of the world, attempting to pattern them after Satan's realm of darkness. You read about Daniel chapter 10, you find that Daniel was in Persia. He tried to pray, but he indicates his prayers were hindered by someone he called the prince. He's not talking about a human being. He's talking about a demonic spirit over the nation of Persia. And Daniel said the archangel Michael had to come and fight against the prince of Persia for Daniel's prayers to get through. That's just a a small glimpse of the invisible war that's going on around our world all the time. If there was a demon in charge of Persia, I believe there's a demon probably assigned to every nation on earth. And I think there's probably a demon in charge of the United States of America. And his job is to do everything he can to ensure that we become a godless, unholy, vile, sinful nation. And he's doing a good job. We're seeing it happen around us. Do you think America's becoming less moral accidentally? It's intentional, it's organized. And just there, as there may be generals, there are some colonels and some demonic sergeants and privates who are assigned to who knows where, maybe in our neighborhood. And then he talks about spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Possibly those are demons who are involved in the most wretched and vile immoralities. Paul's purpose is not to explain the details of the structure, but to show us the sophistication and power that Satan is going to to destroy as many people as can possibly be destroyed. (laughs) Now, are there any personal attacks? He said, we wrestle, struggle. That was a word used for hand-to-hand combat, especially in wrestling. And when you become a Christian, Satan doesn't take your file out of his file cabinet and say, another one, I lost another one. No, he just moves it. He moves it over here to the believer's file because now there's a whole different strategy for believers. He doesn't quit bothering you. 
That's why the scripture tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be awake, be vigilant. Your enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when a lion roars, it makes the prey fear. And Satan's, one of his greatest tools is fear and doubt and discouragement. Do you think, y'all do know there are some people afraid today? (laughs) There's three ways that he operates in our lives. I don't think I put this down for you. He tempts us to sin. The the, the Satan is the tempter. His his army, his his structure. We see him doing that in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says he's a liar. He's the father of all lies. And so he comes to Eve and he says, did God really say that? Have you noticed that anytime God puts a period, Satan always puts a question mark there. Did God really say that? No, he didn't say that. He won't hurt you. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan comes along and said, Jesus, those rocks look like loaves of bread that's just come out of the oven and they even smell like freshly baked bread. Aren't you hungry, Jesus? You can turn those stones into bread. Go ahead and do it. Nobody will know. Yet, Jesus resisted the temptation. Let me tell you something. When you are tempted... It's not a sin. Did you hear me? To be tempted is not a sin. To follow through with it is when the sin happens. Because we're going to be tempted all the time. We're going to be tempted. And if you ever say, well, I'm to the point I'm not tempted anymore, you're a liar. Because everybody's tempted some way to sin. Some people say, all those terrible thoughts that go through my mind, I'm a terrible person. You see, he not only tempts us, but he... He, uh, or you think, well, I, if, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't have had those thoughts. I wouldn't be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Just don't act on it. Sometimes we have kinds of scary and weird and filthy thoughts. Your job is not to entertain those thoughts. Push them out. Billy Graham said it so well. He said, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. So when you have a thought, dismiss it. Go on say, I don't know where that came from. Don't dwell on it. But just because you had an evil thought doesn't mean you've sinned. So he tempts us. The second thing he does, he accuses us of being unworthy. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. We know what that's like. In Job chapter one, God says to Satan, have you seen my uh, servant Job? He's righteous. He, he is, uh, he's a wonderful, upstanding, righteous man. And Satan says, sure, as long as you keep blessing him, but you take those blessings away, he will curse you to your face. That's what the devil does. He accuses us before God. But we have the Holy Spirit living in us that Job didn't have. He's... And we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's always making intercession for us. So that when Satan comes along and says, do you realize you're 
your so-called child, David Wilson, did you realize what he did today? You, you know, he's not, and, and Jesus just sort of steps up and says, he belongs to me. I, I've covered him. You need to just move along. That's what he says. That's the way he does it. The devil accuses us to ourselves. And, and although accusing us before God has no power because of our advocates, some of us are still listening to the devil's lies. Some of us actually think, well, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good enough. And he comes up and he whispers in your ear, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. How can you come to church? How, I can't believe you're going to church today. How terrible. Look, you, how, how can you sing in the choir? How, how can you teach a Sunday school class? Let me tell you how to handle that. Next time that he tells you you're unworthy, agree with him. I am unworthy. But Jesus has made me worthy. So thank you for reminding me what Jesus has done. Start praising the Lord. He'll quit reminding you of that. He also blinds us to the truth. He's a liar. He hates the truth. So he tries to blind people to the truth. Did you know that Satan hates you? He hates you because you stand for truth. Because you have followed the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He hates you. Devil doesn't want you to know that God loves you. He doesn't want people to know that God loves you. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. All of this stuff that's going on in our nation right now, the election's not going to solve that because people are blinded to the truth. Their hearts have to be changed. An election's not going to change that. Once you become a Christian, Satan still tries to blind you to the truth. Devil tries to make them believe that all they have to do is just, just be born again and I've got my ticket to heaven. I don't have to do anything else. The devil doesn't want you to grow. He sure doesn't want you to multiply yourself to bring others to the truth. I hope, and I, I gotta believe, I mean, you're, you're here on a Wednesday night. People who love Jesus come on Wednesday night. You know, the old saying was, if you love your church, you come on Sunday morning. And when they had Sunday night church, if you love your pastor, you came on Sunday night. But if you love Jesus, you come on Wednesday night. <laughs> and I'm just teasing. If you're watching online, I understand why you're watching online. <laughs> Mom and dad, I know you're watching online tonight. Well, he didn't want you to become a dangerous dynamic witness because you can rescue too many people that way. So let's talk about the success of the believer for just a moment. In verse 13 in Ephesians, it says, therefore, after what he just said, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And in Second in Corinthians For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're to resist or to stand firm. We are living in the last days. Now, when I say that, the last days could be another number of years, but we're living in evil days and it's growing worse. That's just one of the prophetic truths that the scripture says. If if you've read the word of God, you're gonna know that the world is not going to progressively get better and better and better and better. In fact, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But we are to stand. We're not to be driven about with all of this. We are people of the truth. And our weapons of warfare are not carnal. The evils of this world are deeply entrenched and fortified, but we have the word of God. We have the promises of God. How many times in the last months have you had to come back and remind yourself, God's still on the throne. God's still in control. God still loves you. God still owns you. You haven't lost your salvation. And we don't have to live in fear. All of us have been living in fear to some degree. I mean, maybe caution is a better word. We're being cautious, but do we have to be afraid? No. Casting down arguments, the imaginations, the thoughts that are uncontrolled. God, you can help me control my thoughts. And every high thing that exalts itself, all the false ideas, false doctrines, false teaching, human pride, the arrogance, the self-righteousness, the self-sufficiency, God, help me to keep in mind that everything I have is through you. And you are in me and I am your child and I have been forgiven and I am saved and I have the power to overcome the evil one because you're gonna do it for me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we don't have to cower down in fear, but to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the way that you do that is to continue to look at God's word. I get so disheartened when, I, when people stop assembling with other believers. They stop praying. They stop looking at God's word. They're so busy doing everything else And the next thing you know it, they're swept away into the pits of sin. All of us can go there if we're not careful. Next Wednesday, we're going to begin looking at the armor. It's so good, it's going to take us two weeks to do it. We're going to talk about the spiritual armor that we have in Jesus Christ and in his word. So, 
I'm reminding of that little song we learned as a child. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. I may not march in the infantry, shoot the artillery, ride in the cavalry, but I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. And so are you. And greater is he that is in me and you than he that is in the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of who we are. We are not defeated. You are not defeated. You're completely in control of our lives. Lord, help us to be lights in a world that's growing darker by the minute. Lord, help us to to share Jesus with people who desperately need it. There's so many people who are afraid. And Lord, all of us, I guess, are, have some fear of this virus and other stuff, but, but Lord, we can't live in fear. Help us to be people that can share the hope of the world. I pray that Christians will stand for truth. I pray Christians will get out and vote for truth. I know we don't have any perfect candidates, but we've got definite differences between those who at least stand with some of your word and those who don't stand on any of it. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be people of truth and light and courage. Thank you that you have already defeated Satan. His days are numbered. And we look forward to the day when you boot him over into the lake of fire. Until that time, God, would you help us? Help us to stand when we're tempted to be reminded that we don't have to succumb to that temptation. When we have evil thoughts, help us to be reminded of the truth. And I pray, Father, that all believers would understand how much they are loved and how worthy they are in your sight because of Jesus who's covered it all and paid it all. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these folks that have come tonight. And God, we just ask that you would uh, keep us safe. And when we come back Sunday, we're just praying for a wonderful day that people would be encouraged and people drawn to you. I pray for all of the ministries that are going on in various areas. Thank you that we still have a church. We pray these things now and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and sin no more. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.